Well, Happy New Year. Uh, hope you're having a great start to 2022. I know it's kind of a difficult time right now with Omicron and all the rest, but um, I'm excited about this coming year for our church and um, see what God does. I want to, first of all, uh, thank you for your participation in the offering. I hope all of you have heard by now that the Christmas offering uh, received over $20,000 that we are sending down to the First Hispanic Church of uh, East Oakland. We're so excited to be able to support that great cause, to help those families down there who have really been hit hard by uh, the pandemic. So I'm, I'm just really so pleased with that and, and really happy to do that and hope that we can have some kind of partnership them, with them beyond um, sending money. Also, I want you to know that uh, we would let you know as uh, things developed and as Omicron uh, developed, when we would get back in the sanctuary. You know, definitely next week we are still online on January 16th. After that, we're not sure, but my guess is we will still have some online services after that. And hope is that two or three weeks after that, we will be back in the sanctuary, but again, the only predictable thing about this virus is its unpredictability, so hang in there with us. But you know, we had a stewardship scheduled to start this Sunday, so we have moved that uh, off, postponed it until we're back in the sanctuary. So we've had to pivot a little bit, and so I'm going to do a series of sermons on the church. We are in this time of transition and really examining who we are as a church and who God is calling us to be. So I thought it would be good, especially as we move into stewardship, to talk about uh, God's vision for the church. And it is a great vision. You know, I, I think the church is kind of maligned these days, um, and maybe rightfully so. But I still believe with my whole heart that when the church is living out the vision that God has for the church, it's being the church, there's nothing better. Um, so I still believe in it. I know it's not real politically correct <laughs> to say, but I love the church. I am thankful for what it has done in my life. And I'm excited uh, to preach about uh, the church. And specifically, we're probably going to look most at the mission of the church. So today I want to read a great passage of scripture from right at the beginning of the introduction or the, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, which is uh, chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew. The first um, part of it I'm sure you're very familiar with. Uh, it's the Beatitudes, and then we move into uh, Christ telling us who we are uh, as the church, as followers of Jesus. And he talks about salt and light. And that's the passage we'll focus on. But let me read uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 16. And just listen to these words. They're, they're very powerful. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, 
for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure at heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In fact, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who came before you. And now here's the section I really want to focus on today. You know, this first part, Jesus is telling them, uh, you're on the right road. That's what blessed means. You're on the right road when you are peacemakers and even when you are persecuted. Um, and he's speaking to those who have received the grace of God, who, has, who have been great, grabbed by the grace of God. Uh, I heard one a teacher one time, I had a teacher in seminary that said, these people have been gospelized. Uh, God is working in their life. And then he gets into... Uh, their identity. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. In, instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you would take now these words of scripture and the meditations of my heart, and I pray that you would speak a very clear, and I hope today a challenging word to us about who we are as your followers, as your disciples. So speak with clarity and with full conviction, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Wow, those are powerful words, and I I have always imagined, as I've read this passage over many, many times over the years, what it must have felt like for those people sitting uh, on this hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee as they listened to Jesus teach. I am sure they must have been shocked by these words. You are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. Jesus is talking here about the kind of influence that the followers of his will have in the world. And for the people listening that day, these kind of ordinary people, not the rich, not the, the influential, not the leaders of the time, not even religious people, but his followers, kind of a ragtag group of disciples, for them to hear these words, they must have been shocked. And I am sure he emphasized you, like, just like I tried to do. In fact, in the Greek, you is exactly the word that is emphasized. You, 
All of you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> they must have looked around and said, who is Jesus talking to? It can't be me. And actually, I looked to the side of me, it really probably isn't that guy. Who is it? Well, Christ is telling them as his followers, and he's telling us, I wish you were in the sanctuary today, but I'll look at you and I'll say, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. Now, why was it so shocking? Well, he's telling this small group of folks what kind of influence they are to have in the world. And it's shocking to them because it's a huge amount of influence. Not only huge, but the influence that they are to have, the metaphors that he uses to tell them what kind of influence they're going to have, tell them that they are indispensable. That the influence they're going to have is vital. And he uses two images that would be very familiar with them, salt and light. And these Two images, metaphors, describe the type of influence that Christ's followers are to have in the world and will have in the world. First of all, salt. Well, what was salt? Salt was very important in the ancient world. In fact, hard to find anything maybe more important to life at that time than salt. It had all kinds of uses. It was used as a purifier. It was used as a fertilizer. It had medicinal purposes. It killed germs. It cleansed wounds. It promoted healing. But I think Jesus was really kind of focusing on two uses here when he uses this metaphor of salt. One is, as we all know, salt brings out the flavors in meat. Interesting thing about salt. You know, I, I'm not a great cook. Um, I always thought that Salt just kind of made things salty, but what it really does when it permeates the meat and it gets in there, its goal is not so much that the meat should taste salty. The goal is that this salt brings out the very best flavors in the meat. It makes the meat the best it can be. So in a way, when Jesus uses salt as a way of, of telling his his followers that this is the influence that you're going to have. He's saying, you know what, you should bring out the best in the world. Whatever situation you find yourself in, as these people that I just described uh, who have been gospelized and great, grabbed by the grace of God, you should bring out the best, bring out the flavor, bring out the beauty. Eugene Peterson, in his translation, The Message, when he translates this verse, he says, we should bring out the God flavors. Think of it this way. When people encounter the followers of Jesus, somehow, mysteriously, through us, ordinary, <laughs> broken people, they should taste God. And probably most importantly, in the dry, hot, dry climate of the Middle East, where there was no such thing as refrigeration or ice and airtight packaging, salt was essential as a preservative. It was used to keep things from going bad. 
to, it prevented decay. As you can imagine, for this reason, salt was just absolutely essential to life. So you are the salt of the world, and you are the light of the world. Again, another very rich metaphor. So many ways you can go through, go with this. I mean, light does so much. It's something that guides, it illuminates, it, um, it's like a beacon. It pushes back the darkness. It helps us find our way. It gives us life. I mean, we all know from high school biology, maybe junior high school, that without light, there's no life. But most importantly, and this is what these people would know as they listened to Jesus that day, light is a metaphor for the very presence of God. The hearers of the time would know that in the Old Testament, light was always uh, referred to as an experience of God's presence. That when there was light, God's presence was there, bringing peace and love and grace God was revealed through light. As light, the followers of Christ somehow bring the presence of God into a situation. So do you see why these people next to the Sea of Galilee that day would have been shocked by this? I mean, it's kind of audacious. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Wow, what a great purpose that God gives us, a wonderful calling. But in addition to these two metaphors about who we are, there are also implied in these words some pretty sobering thoughts and some warnings to the followers of Christ, to the church. If we aren't salt and light, there will be decay and there will be darkness. And this is why this is such a a powerful and shocking statement. Jesus said, you are the light of the world, and you are the salt of the earth. And here's the sobering truth. If there is darkness and decay in the world, it is at least in part because the church, God's Christ's followers, are not living out their identity. The influence that it should have is somehow falling short of what God hopes it to be. It's pretty shocking, isn't it? You know, it's so easy, I think, today to be discouraged and to, to complain about all the things that are wrong in our country and all the decay that seems to be happening around us. It's even frightening. But according to these words of Christ, if something is wrong, at least in part it comes back to the church not having the influence, not being the salt in light that God intends for it to be. Because of that, there's growing decay and there's growing darkness. That is pretty strong. But you see, as we look at Scripture, God's tool for redeeming the world is the church. It's a huge responsibility. So that's the first warning. If you aren't the light and the salt, 
the world will decay and, and become dark. The second warning is this, and I read these verses for years and never realized this. If we don't live out our identity, we will become irrelevant. If we aren't distinctively salty, we become irrelevant. Did you hear what Christ said? But if the salt loses its saltiness, then how can it be made salty again? And here's the irrelevance. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled to foot. Never really saw this before. It's not really maybe a, a warning so much as it is simply a statement of truth that this is what happens. The world will see the church as, as irrelevant and sometimes maybe almost silly, as useless. And it is so sad for me that this, I think, is partly what has happened to the church today in America. If we're not being salt and light, if we're not bringing out the God flavors in the world, in our community, we become irrelevant. So this raises a good question. So when is our influence? The type of influence that Jesus is talking about in these verses. See, Christ followers, I mean, people who claim to be Christ followers, they can be noticed. They can make all kinds of noise, can't they? They can be noticed in all kinds of ways. They can create all kinds of attention. But it doesn't mean that they're actually maybe being the type of person that Christ is describing here when he's talking about being salt and light. It's very interesting how the church has interacted with culture over the years. It always, the church always interacts with culture. And here are some different ways that, that the church has interacted with culture in the past. Sometimes the church withdraws from culture, withdraws from the world. They look out at the world and think, oh, it's so evil. We can't be polluted. We're going to be like a fortress. We're going to pull up the drawbridges and just be completely separate. They're separatists because they're overwhelmed as they look out at the world. Other times the church has said, well, we're against the world. We're going to battle the world. We're going to war against it. And we've seen that before. Other times the church has tried to gain power, right-handed power. Remember the moral majority? <laughs> and legislate, become part of the power brokers. The church never does well when it does that. We end up being irrelevant. Sometimes the church just judges and condemns. I remember watching Meet the Press a number of years ago, and, and a pastor was, a well-known pastor was on there, and being interviewed part of the roundtable, and and this is what that pastor said, I'll never forget. He said, you know, for years, the church has just, you know, we're supposed to be the hands and feet of Christ in the world. And he said, you know, for many, many years now, all we've been is a big mouth <laughs> and complaining and criticizing and condemning. You know, I, the world doesn't 
react to that very well, does it? I love the prayer of a little girl who once said, Dear God, please make all the bad people good and please make all the good people nice. (laughs) I don't think this is the way of Christ. I think that Christ prefers the way of the Jesuits. It is better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. Okay, so what is the type of influence we have? What's the best way of doing it? It's to be these beatitude people. Our our best influence as followers of Christ comes through love. It comes through service. What makes us distinctive as Christians? Well, you know the old song. They will know we are Christians by our love. The world takes notice, I think, when the church models Christ and it serves the world, it washes the feet of the world through good deeds, through service. I mean, this is what Jesus says. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It's not through power. It's not through ramming legislation through. It's not through talking all the time. It's not through overpowering the world. It's not through always saying what we are against that enables us to live out our influence as salt and light through doing what Jesus did by loving the world and washing its feet. You know, I, I have learned this and seen this through experience, and I want to share one example of it. You know, one of the churches I was pastoring in the past, we did a mission study, uh, just like we're doing right now. We, we had been there about 10 years, and we decided we need a new vision. We, we've kind of done all the things of the first vision that we had 10 years ago, and we need to take a new look and come up with some creative ways to serve our community and to reach out to it. And so we did this mission study, and part of the mission study was giving a, de- a demographic study that we there was an organization that we could send money to. They'd send us a, a demographic study of our neighborhood and we realized that within a mile of our church and none of us knew this was a school that was really underserved all the kids 100 percent of the kids were on free lunches um 20 percent of them had had at least one parent incarcerated it was a, a tough going for the school, and it was a tough time, you know, in the history of our country. It, you know, oftentimes I feel like I get up and I say, you know, this is a hard time. Well, it seems like since 20, uh, 9-11, it's just been one hard thing after another. This was during the recession, and money was tight, and school budgets were being cut, and it was just a, a discouraging time. And so what we decided to do as a church is we were going to adopt this school, in a sense, and we went to the principal and we said, how can we serve you? Really, how can we wash your feet? How can we love you? And she had a whole list. And so we had tutors. We started a bicycle program, got bikes and fixed them up, gave them to these kids. We had a mechanic in our church who went down there every week to keep these bikes in running conditions. We put in a track, we painted the school, 
We served, we tutored, we read, we helped teachers. Whatever the school needed, we had volunteers to do that. 70 to 80 people on a weekly basis from our church going down to that church, to that school in that neighborhood. And after a couple of years, the principal of that school, who had become a very good partner with us and, and someone we really loved, she was to give a presentation to the school board, the school board meeting, talking about this program that she had at her school. And she went and she gave this presentation and talked about what our church had done for this school. And at the end of it, one of our volunteers, a retired guy like many of you who work for Children Rising, who was tutoring and reading, shared about volunteering at the school and what it meant to him and got choked up, of course. And when he sat down and when that presentation was over, there was a standing ovation at a school board meeting. And in the midst of the, this difficult time, there was a moment of joy. And the church was being the salt and light out there, getting into the meat, rubbing shoulders, bringing out the best flavors, bringing out the presence of God. You know what? It gave us credibility. It gave us favor in the community. It's improved that neighborhood. We had teachers who ended up joining our church from that school. We had people who lived in that neighborhood who told us, you know, because of your influence at this school, our whole neighborhood has risen to another level. So I think that's how we do it. We go out and we love and we serve and we're salt and light, develop relationships, bring the presence of Christ. We do that as a church. We do that individually. You know, I remember having a, a new member, a woman in a new member's class one time, and I had never seen her before. And I said, you know, I, I don't think I've seen you at a worship service. And she said, you know, I, I've never been to a worship service at your church. And I probably won't be able to come to very many because we, open a, we own a restaurant and Sunday is a very busy uh, morning for us with brunch. And I said, so why, why are you here? And she said, you know, I'm on a committee with a, a number of people from your church, a city, a city committee to develop a, a, a nut festival for our town. And she said, you know, as I got to know these women, they had a, a, an irresistible influence on me. I thought, I want to be like those women. And if people in this church are like those women, I want to be part of that church. Salt and light. You know, yesterday, I, I'll, I'll say this was a hard week. It was a somber week. I was listening to NPR on, on the 6th and listening to the presentation about, you know, what happened a year ago at the Capitol. And they were interviewing on NPR a professor from USF, an African-American man, and, and he was talking about this. And uh, finally, the interviewer asked him, what, what do we need to do as a country? And he said, you know, I don't want to be simplistic here, but I think what we need is love. Love is powerful. And if we can just start loving each other and reaching across the, the walls that divide us or breaking down those walls and, 
and reaching across the, the gaps that separate us, that's powerful. If we can listen to each other and try to understand the other side and love, that'll go a long way. Brothers and sisters, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Live out your identity. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this amazing, simple, yet powerful passage of Scripture. And we, we pray that we would know that we, when we go out and we are salt and light, our power doesn't come from ourselves, but it's derivative from you. Help us to go with confidence and with great love to the world around us, everywhere we are, whether at work, in our neighborhood, at our school, wherever we may find ourselves, may we bring the presence of Christ. May we bring out the best flavors of the world around us, the God flavors. Through your power and your grace, we ask these things. Amen.